wonderful song, the new song by Lord Extraordinary. And when Lord releases her highly anticipated third album, Solar Power, on August 30, you can buy it on vinyl, you can digital download, and you can stream on platform only, but not on CD. Lord said, quoting, I decided early on in the process of making this album that I also wanted to create an environmentally kind, forward-thinking alternative to the compact disc. NME writes that Lord has been praised for her environmental concerns after she confirmed that her new album won't receive a CD release. Instead, Lord will give fans the option to purchase an eco-friendly music box if they desire something physical in addition to the streamable album. It'll come with handwritten notes, exclusive photographs and a download card. So uh, with us to discuss is Roger Marbeck, the owner of Marbeck's Records. Roger, welcome. How are you? You well? I'm well. I'm very well, thank you, Roger. This would be a bit of a first, would it not? A major artist not to have a CD release. Well, a lot of artists probably just did vi- do vinyl these days, where they think ah. you know there's not going to be CD um, sales. But I think Lord, you know, you've got to applaud her for taking a stand. I mean, she's she is putting her money where her mouth is, and you know it will be a costly exercise to her, no matter what because she will lose some sales there, definitely. Um, you've got to think that CDs are a generational thing to a too. I mean, young, the youngies all use digital, I mean, that's, and, and a lot of middle-aged as well use digital. I use digital, I'm, and I'm a pensioner, you know. Um, <laughs> but I use it for grazing, so Spotify and all that sort of thing, I check things out. But, you know, to get a, a really good sound quality on your stereo, etc. if you're using CDs... Um, it still works well. Yeah, well, I know that Joe wants to jump in here, but I guess maybe I'm of that generation. Actually, I had a big record collection, but I gave it up. You know why? Because I couldn't be bothered getting off the couch and turning it over. <laughs> I just thought it was useless technology, and I still hate it. I remember listening to my George Benson albums going, oh, gosh, the end of, the, end of, end of side A. Um, <laughs> so, you know, CDs were a godsend to me, and I still love them. I can't believe, I cannot believe that she is not putting out a compact disc. Joe. Well, all I wanted to say is she called it solar power, so she had to have kind of an eco. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe that's it. You know, but we are forgetting one thing that's yeah. on vinyl, and that's about as big a polluter as, as, you know, the music industry is a polluter. There's never been a, until digital, there wasn't a pollution-free option. Even um, digital has got some sort of well, environmental yeah, impacts. It's got a bit of a big left foot, hasn't it? But <laughs> Michael, what do you think? Oh, I'm not a CD collector. I'm a definitely a digital. Um, uh, and, and, and in fact, I will happily listen to concerts or to, I, I don't mind um, curated, cura- cura- curated music at all. What about having it at home and collecting it, it and having it? I, I'm perfectly happy to have it in a in a digital format. Wow. I, um, I'm, I, it's easier for me. It's more portable. I can take it on the plane. I, not the plane. I don't go on the plane. Why would I go on a plane? That's a bad polluter thing. I wouldn't <laughs> go on a plane. Um, but, you know, the, the, uh, it just makes it... I, I just... I would never... I would never own a collection of music again. Interesting. So, Roger, uh, tell me something. Are CDs still selling? Yes, they are, most definitely. Um, they're still quite a piece of the industry. I mean, it's a declining piece of the industry. But um, if you take, you know, take Marbex, for instance, about just over half of what we sell is on CD, if you're going by volume. Um, the LP resurgence has been an absolute saviour to the industry, that's for sure. Has it? I can deny that. Yep. Dollar-wise, because they're expensive... I mean, we have to import them all, so there's a, there's a lot of sort of freight involved and everything else, but it, it's a 
it's a booming industry, the LP, you know, the vinyl but, industry, definitely. The bit, that I don't, the bit that I don't get, which is the bit that Marbex and your business delivers, is the, uh, is the serendipity which is what goes when you go into a store and you don't know what you're looking for in the first instance. I don't like the algorithm. I don't like the idea that I'm only being fed what I want. Totally. And the knowledge that Marbex brings to the conversation I can have. That The fact that somebody can stand behind the counter and say, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? That's the bit which is the real value that's added. I see. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, uh, uh, Roger, so the, vi- the vinyl comeback... Actually, there's a question here I want to address, but this is the, this is the question I want before we go. Um, uh, and I know that we've addressed it before, but vinyl versus CD, is it really, really, really the case that vinyl sounds better... Than CD. So if I was to um, if I was to if I was, I was to buy Abbey Road by the Beatles, would it sound better on vinyl than it would on compact disc? Everybody's going to have a different answer for that. I can tell you that, and you'll argue for days. Um, <laughs> it depends on your setup. Yeah. Um, yeah. If oh. you've got a decent stereo at home and it's been set up for vinyl, then it's going to sound amazing. If you've got one set up, you know they're, they're two different beasts. So the the sound is what you're after, and let's face it, you're after entertainment and realism so some people spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on their on their setups and and they're geared for just perfection um so you know that that argument it goes on wow i mean i've been i've been doing interviews on the fcd i think for probably 15 years now (laughs) 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 and and it's still half our business so okay there you go you've answered the question generational thing i think all right the generational thing because we you know we do a lot of classical as well and and we do a lot of classical cd and that Mm. so it's generational Roger Marbeck, owner of Marbex Records there. Thank you for your time. It is uh, 21 to 5, the panel RNZ National. As you type the buy and extended warranty with your purchase, uh, are you the type rather to buy an extended warranty with your purchase or throw caution to the wind? As News Hub's Priscilla Dixon reports, there are concerns over some of the sales tactics used to sell those warranties. So is paying for an extended warranty worth your extra cash? Well, Jessica Wilson, the head of research at Consumer NZ, and joins us on the line to share her thoughts on this. We thought we'd uh, get a bit of a Friday afternoon update on this. I know, Jessica, we've talked about this before. Kia ora. Welcome to the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. Have you heard of these various tactics used to sell warranties? Indeed. They have been around for a while. Uh, retailers are very keen to sell them, and sales reps are also very keen because they earn a commission on each sale. So the more they sell, the more money in their paycheck at the end of the week. So, okay, for an extra, say, $250, you can extend, say, a warranty by a year. Is it worth it? Uh, In our book, no. You're effectively paying for protection. You have under a handy piece of consumer law called the Consumer Guarantees Act. So this gives you really good after-sales protection. You don't need to pay extra for that extended warranty. Absolutely. I worked for the, um, I volunteered for the Citizens Advice Bureau, and this was one of the things that we talked about regularly. And the the, uh, retailers aren't necessarily going to want to admit this, but the the law, as I understand it, I'm sorry, you're the expert, not me, says that it should be, um, effectively, the thing you buy is supposed to be fit for purpose for the length of time that you should reasonably expect it to work. And the That's point right. about they have to be acceptable quality. And and, and the point of, you paid. And the point about that is that that really means that a refrigerator 
There really isn't a list that says this is how long a refrigerator, but if you go to your Citizens Advice Bureau, somewhere in it, someone will be able to say to you, because there used to be where I worked, something that says, well, you should probably expect a fridge to last about 10 to 12 to 15 years. Do you know what I mean? It's not... uh, it, it sh- it's not that complicated for the public, and our legislation is very good. Is that right, Jessica? And indeed, the CGA says the Consumer Guarantees Act said goods have to be durable, and yes, they should last longer than the few years you have with an extended warranty. So if a product fails before its time, you're entitled to go back to the retailer and ask it to put it right, and that either will mean repairing the product, replacing it, or giving you a refund. So, um, Jessica, I don't want to be sort of unduly cynical about this, but do you feel these extended warranties are taking advantage of potentially vulnerable people? Oh, look, indeed. The the sales pitch can be quite full on when you go into these big box retailers and and purchasing something new. And when when we've mystery shopped the stores before, we've found all sorts of misleading information Mm. given to our our mystery shoppers about the, uh, the benefits of the warranties and also sales staff misleading consumers about their rights under consumer law. So we don't like these products. We uh, we recommend don't buy them. There are very few benefits and very few occasions where they would be of any use at all. Final comment, Michael. Um, and you've just, as a consumer, you've just got to be politely forceful. The Consumer Guarantees Act guarantees by its nature that you need you, you need to consider that this hasn't lasted for the length of time and I would like you to do something about it. And you just keep persisting and persisting no matter, you know, effectively, if you don't take the guarantee, if you just keep persisting with that, they do have to do, have to respond in some way. Do they have to, Jessica, final thoughts? They, they do. They have legal obligations under the Act to make sure they mm. sell products that are fit for purpose and they've got an obligation to act within a reasonable time when a consumer raises a problem with them. When, I just wonder, measure up. Jessica, if you feel there should be any legal obligations not to sell something that has no value. Well, you can't, you can't go, Joe, you can't go there. There's, that would stop sales, salesmanship from the beginning to the end. It would remove a lot of things from the market. Yeah. Yeah. I, we'll leave it there, Jessica. Thank you for your time. That's Jessica Wilson, the Head of Research at Consumer NZ. What would lawyers do, for example? Yep. Uh, uh, 16 to 5, the panel RNZ National, a bit of response about uh, vinyl CDs. Vinyl is great, says Colin. Uh, if and only if you have very good equipment. What online digital is good, but it needs to be FLAC, F-L-A-C, i.e. uncompressed audio, not standard. I don't use CDs anymore. Uh, Shane and Hastings says, I have a huge vinyl collection, but I've recently gone back to buying CDs. I just love to push play and hear the entire album start to finish, you see. Yeah. I think the convenience of streaming services are ruining a good album experience. I guess that's where I come back, being sort of from the, the era that you used to sort of um, look at the cover art, think about it. That's valid. And, you know, uh, streaming, it's w- w- where, is the art, where is the product? Yeah, I d- yeah I, I, the product mm. is in sitting there listening. Uh, the Fair product is, is being able to have it uh, when the mood takes you. The product is being able to serendipitously across an evening run through a range of things and not and, gotcha. and, and not listen to every song if they're not all good. Now, to this completely different note, who was the best and worst president in US uh-uh. history? And no former US president, uh, no, Donald Trump is not the worst president. This was an informal survey of 142 presidential historians selected by 
C-SPAN. The top and bottom rankings remain fairly unchanged. So uh, since 2009, the top four. One, Abraham Lincoln. Two, George Washington. Three, Franklin D. Roosevelt. And four, Theodore Roosevelt. The bottom three have always been Democrat Franklin Pierce, who believed that the abolitionist movement was a fundamental threat to the nation, Andrew Johnson, and also Democrat James Buchanan as the worst. Uh, Shortly after Buchanan's inauguration, the Supreme Court infamously ruled in the Dred Scott case that African Americans were not and never could be US citizens. You've got George Bush, 29th, Reagan, 9th, Barack Obama, the 10th. And Donald Trump, more on that later. So with us is American history professor Peter Field. Peter, welcome. Hi, nice to talk to you this afternoon. Yeah, what value in rankings? What can they tell us? Well, that's a good question. I really don't know. And we always have to remind ourselves that American presidents are just part of a larger system. They can't do things without a Congress and having the party of your party in Congress. But anyway, they can tell us something. Yeah. Um, Um, Any surprises here? Well, I guess we should all be surprised that Trump isn't last. I know in my family's opinion, he would be dead last now. Um, you know, I'm not sure I would I would rank him there. Um, Richard Nixon, I thought for a long time, was ranked as the worst. Right. Um, I would rank him the worst morally, I guess. Uh, guilty of obstruction of justice, right? Abuse of power. Um, uh, Andrew Johnson, he's on the list. Um, well, that was an emergency reconstruction after the Civil War, and he was pretty much a failure there. Right. In fact, we quickly, if I may, we mm. may have to lower Lincoln a little bit in our estimation because, after all, in one way or another, Lincoln chose Andrew Johnson as the as his successor. I mean, I guess, um, Peter, the, the, it takes time to reveal the legacy of someone as well. I mean, I think some of the... I don't, I don't know if Trump will ever be considered to be causative here, but he's definitely very associated with sort of that undermining of trust in the post-Trump world. And, and whether or not the implications of that will lead to him sliding further down, you know, to, in that bottom four. Yeah, you know, if you're asking my opinion, I don't know. Um, for my part, other issues largely will more likely take precedence. So if everyone really was desperate for an American foreign war, well, then, then, then right, then Trump's got to be the worst president because we didn't have one. If everyone feels that Trump yeah. is actually wonderful. It, there's a relativeness, yeah. Right. So so there are a lot of things that, that we didn't like about Trump, and he did seem to be a pig. But probably his choices as president won't go down as disastrous. Michael? Yeah, so um, uh, Nixon's always my worst for the, for the same reason <laughs> that you, you made. I, th- I think, for me, you've got to measure it against pivots. And actually, Nixon did more to destroy the public's confidence in politicians and the integrity of the office than what I know of almost anybody else in that process and part in, in, in that in, who sat have sat in that seat and th- therefore he's going to be the worst from my perspective but actually um, somebody else's perspective will okay. put somebody else somewhere else. now Peter what about your former classmate Barack right, Obama so, so he is my classmate and uh, you know I, I I don't think Obama is going to go down in history very well, although, of course, he was a two-term president, and he's African-American. And as long as we care about that and identify race relations as a crucial part of American history, he has to be very important. But I can't think of anything he did as president that was particularly good as a statesman. Uh, He won the Nobel Prize, but he won that before he did anything. 
Um, so, um, alas, no, I, I don't find uh, my guess is that he, he won't go down as a great president, even if a very important one. Mm. Now, and sorry. To- yeah, <laughs> no, it's very interesting. The the other things is uh, you, the other people that you uh, mentioned too. What about uh, what about Woodrow Wilson? You know, that's an unusual one. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, again, the Democrat, very popular, uh, brilliant guy. He was uh, Princeton, my, where I taught, uh, was named after him. But I thought he was a disaster. I think if we actually look at World War One and see how bad it was, how um, the Americans didn't join sides. They then join sides late. They don't force a defeat on Germany that helps to bring about the terrible Treaty of Versailles and ultimately World War II. I think Wilson makes a mistake. The Americans are wrong every step of the way. And, and he couldn't get the American um, legislators to join the League of Nations. And, you know, that's, that was an enormous um, defeat to um, collectivism or to collaboration. There we go. We have an expert right next to you, Wallace, there. Absolutely right. <laughs> so, uh, and to Trump, I, I'll sort of declare where he came. So he came fourth from the bottom at 41st, and just above him was, so let's have a look at the list. You had uh, James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, and Franklin Pierce. Before we go, tell us a little bit about James Buchanan. <laughs> Do we really want to know? <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> James Buchanan was in the position of... Uh, presiding over secession, declaring it illegal, and then doing absolutely nothing about it. So he just uh, fiddled while Rome burned. Uh, Wallace, you know, you know this is one of my hang-ups, but let's remind ourselves, if we're interviewing us, that is, the talking heads and the intellectuals, we're almost always going to be progressives, and so we're going to obviously have our own slant on things. It's not as if we're objective. We hate the Republicans and mostly like the Democrats. Uh, now, someone says, uh, a bit of interest in this, uh, David asks, uh, what about JFK? So I'm looking, I'm trying to find his name here. He is at one, two, th- he's, in, he's at eighth. Just, great question. Just, just above Ronald Reagan, just below Thomas Jefferson. Right. So, again, I, I'm an outlier here. I think he was the least suited, the least capable, and one of the worst presidents we had. Really? Very, yeah. very handsome, very popular Thank God he defeated Richard Nixon, or, or he didn't, but he certainly became president. Um, but I think that he did absolutely nothing and did nothing well. And without uh, Robert he, Kennedy, without, without his attorney general... Right, his little... attorney general was much brighter, much more able. Sorry to talk over you there. No, 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 I, you're agreeing with me, so I, I love you already. Um, <laughs> it's, um, uh, but without that, none of the civil rights start with a... St- Most of the best of the things that happened in the 60s, Johnson did. Now, before we go on, before you leave, one more question. I promise, just one more, because people are interested in this. Uh, someone says, who was first and why? So Abraham Lincoln comes in at number one. So that's pretty been there since 2009, I think. One, Abraham Lincoln, yeah. George Does he deserve the number one spot in your... Well, this may, this may be the only thing you ever ask me that I know more about than a lot of other people. You're writing a book about him. Lincoln, I am. And the remarkable thing about Lincoln is, think about this as a statesman. You have to prosecute a war where you have to keep the union together and have them focused on in a terrible civil war, winning a bloody, terrible travail. And at the same time, keep your eye on the fact that as soon as the war is over, Americans are Americans and you're going to have to reunite and live together. And I thought he never missed understanding 
win the war, but don't win it in such a way that you can't put the country together again. Absolutely extraordinary. Peter Field uh, from Canterbury University, American history uh, lecturer. Kia ora, Peter. Thanks for your time. Really very interesting there. Um, How much easier yeah. would it have been just to let slavery continue than to to preside over that? How much easier it would have been to have thought, OK, well, we'll incrementally change the way in which we do this. We'll give somebody a few more rights. Well, the fact that he could manage to take the picture that looked 200 years very ahead list. was extraordinary. OK, here's a question for the listeners this afternoon, my final question. If we were to do a ranking of the top New Zealand Prime Ministers in all of history, who would be number one? Text us, 2101. Put your bid in now. Who would be the number one New Zealand Prime Minister of all time? We'll do a three-minute poll. Finally, have you heard about Titadangi's chicken problems? As Stuff reports, a group of feral chickens are causing issues in the Auckland suburb, and that comes after the Waitakere local board paid $25,000 to get rid of another group of birds in 2019. So if you thought this issue had all been done and dusted, you are wrong. With us is Greg Presland, who's the chair of the Waitakere Rangers local board. Greg, kia ora. Uh, Killer, I'm currently deputy chair, actually. But, deputy uh, chair, so chair at the time, so, yeah. These birds are back and they brought the ducks with them, roosters. Why are these birds creating such a problem? Uh, it's a bit of a historical problem. There was a couple uh, got loose about 15 years ago and they set up refuge in the bush. Um, if you know Titarangi, it's basically a forest with a few houses and shops around it. And they had abundant food and... Um, no predators, so uh, numbers flourished, and they keep building up and up. Uh, beginning of last year, we estimate there was about 250 of them, and they were quite a menace. They pooped everywhere. Uh, they caused traffic havocs, and they also um, were damaging the bush quite significantly. And that's when we decided to um, take the action that you talked about. Mm. Joe? Well, actually, I'm just having a, a, a flashback to an experience when um, my partner and I went up north to Ketikiri and we were, and I went by myself to the stone store. This is last June, and there were no other tourists there. And that car park is absolutely um, thronging with these chickens, which are obviously used to being fed by many tourists. Mm. And there were no tourists. There was only me. And they surrounded me and advanced on me in a way that I found absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, I believe deliberately, cut me off from my car. So the whole thing was terrifying. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess more seriously, um, what seems terrible here is that people are dumping animals. I mean, you know, that, that just seems an appalling abdication of any responsibility and, and yeah. I would have thought illegal. Uh, yeah, we got numbers down to about 10 and there were a few stragglers that we couldn't catch. And we had people out every night trying to find them <laughs> and they got to know the chickens quite well. And they reported to us that suddenly these new chickens arrived, so they're we're quite convinced that uh, dumping did happen. Michael? Oh, uh, look, um, uh, I, I, I You've think... You've been to Titarangi? Yes, I have been yeah. to Titarangi, and it's beautiful, and I haven't actually met any chickens, so I don't know about that. Um, I, I think we do have to, you know, feral cats, feral chickens, feral anything. It's... You, you, you've got to find the balance, and when we contribute it by dumping, that just seems tragic. Do you get annoyed, Greg, ridiculous. by the people? Because I've been at Titarangi, and I've seen people out there feeding, feeding them. Uh, you have got a, a couple of very uh, kind-hearted individuals who want to make sure that the chickens are okay, and that the food um, 
you know, obviously <laughs> when you've got uh, no predators and abundant food, uh, the numbers are going to spike up again. So um, we should do that. As, things aren't as bad as they were last year. We've got maybe 10 to 20 uh, in one pocket, and uh, about 50 metres from my home, actually. And they're, they're noisy, and they're, you notice them, but um, the situation is a lot better than it was last year. Mm. So we should escalate it, you know. Should, we should unleash the... Uh, the, the cats, and then we should unleash the dogs, and then we should unleash the horses, and then, you know, eventually. eventually that worked out brilliantly. Doesn't last that? Time. It usually works so <laughs> well. Titarangi or Animal Zoo, and then, and then $5 donation fee for all the toddlers. Oh. Greg Preslin, thank you very much. Deputy Chair of the Waitakere Rangers Local Board there. Uh, a huge response to your number one. Let's have a look. Norm Kirk says someone, Michael Joseph Savage. Uh, you've got Julius Vogel, Peter Fraser, hands down. Uh, you've got, um, again, Jacinda Ardern, more Michael Joseph Savage, a lot of Michael Joseph Savage. Uh, you've got David Longy for Enable Nuclear Free New Zealand. You've got Keith Holyoke. You've got whew, huge amount there. But it seems to be that most of you say Michael Joseph Savage. Well, I've already texted it. And yes, it is Michael Joseph Savage. <laughs> That's strange. Anyway, <laughs> good to have you on. <laughs> Michael Boyden, Joe, thank you very much. I'm Carol, kia ora, and see you next week. Kia ora.